people will decide, well, do I need that experience right now or not? Whereas if you're in the business of actually not selling, you know, an outcome, or sorry, not selling a product, but mm. helping people reach an outcome, it becomes a very different conversation in the patient's head. So yeah. if you can position yourself as, I'm not here to give you chiropractic. I'm not here mm. to give you some really clever stuff I'm doing. I'm here to help you achieve whatever's missing from your life. Because mm. they wow. there's, a, there's something that they can't do because of the pain. And if we can position ourselves as the sort of the wise guide, the person mm. who helps them get there, then we're, we're attaching what we do to something they've already put at the top of their priorities. And it's they're going to start making other sacrifices elsewhere to make sure they can still achieve those goals. But we have to position ourselves there because most patients won't automatically put us there. Hi, and welcome to the Practice Builders podcast with me, Rosie Piercy. I'm a chiropractor, clinic director, and practice builder. In every episode, I'm going to bring you the hints, tips, and lessons I've learned in building my successful clinic to help you build the practice of your dreams. Hi, and welcome to the Practice Builders podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have Chris Chippendale with us, and he is here to talk about communication skills but to help you survive the cost of living crisis or to help your clinic survive the cost of living crisis. So before we start, Chris, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me, Rosie. So yeah, my name's Chris. I, um, I'm a second generation chiropractor. We've got a team of two clinics. So we have other associate chiros and massage therapists working with us as well. They've been established 35, 36 years. Um, so I was kind of like born and bred chiropractic. I grew up around chiropractic and um, I always knew communication was a key part. I was quite lucky to have that kind of chiropractic upbringing. But then when I graduated, I found there wasn't a lot out there for the kind of way I wanted to practice. There was a lot of traditional approaches to chiropractic education where you tried to get them to understand chiropractic philosophy. And there was lots of metaphors and, and, and you know patient education sort of things to get the patient to understand why you were doing things yeah but it was a fairly it was a fairly outdated model i'd say and there was a lot of stuff out there for how to build a really big high volume practice and stuff i didn't really want to do um so that got me into looking at sort of more patient-centered approaches to communication and i ended up looking at various other fields so not just like neuroscience but um psychotherapy as well there's been a lot of work on that um and then over time, I just basically, I got into that. I started finding it worked really well for me. It was working really well for our team. People mm -hmm. started asking me to teach them. And then it's just kind of grown from there. Um, mm -hmm. so I've been doing, I've done lectures internationally. I guest lecture at South Bank Uni. Um, I set up patient-centered training in 2017 um, yeah. as a way to just kind of get this stuff out there more. Because, I mean, essentially what I found is that everybody's talking about patient-centered care and it's kind of become a buzzword now. Yeah. Like everyone says it, but not a lot of people seem to actually have a proper appreciation of of what it means and what it is and what yeah. it is. Um, and I just really wanted to show people how we can do a better job with that and how that actually not only gets better results, like your yeah. communication really matters to the patient's outcome, but actually helps your practice as well. Because um, a lot of my kind of influences when I was younger were saying, look, you can either make a good income or you can you know, yeah. sleep well at night. You can't really do both. And I found actually when you know how to communicate really well from a patient-centered point of view, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my thing. That's sort of what I'm all about, sharing that. 
Perfect. And it is, and it is, you know, communication is so important in, in everyday life, but also with your patients when they're coming to you in pain and they're vulnerable, is being able to say the right things, not the wrong things. I think if you say the right things, you sleep at night. Mm. And if you say the wrong things, that's when you you feel a bit icky inside and perhaps sleep, don't sleep at night. But um Yeah. yeah. And so communication is super important all the time, but particularly, you know, and when the country's going through a difficult time. So we found that with COVID, wasn't it, that you had we had to communicate really well what we were doing to keep people safe. And in some ways, I guess that was quite easy because it was like we've done all this and you could see what you were doing to make mm. things safe. And now we're, the country's going through this kind of cost of living crisis. And that's another, another thing now that we need to communicate in maybe a slightly different way, or we need to be mindful of that when we're having a conversation. So how do you think it affects, does, does that, does cost of living affect communication or, or not? How, what, what do you think we should be doing to, to change what we're saying or be mindful of? I think kind of the, the key thing really is, for me, it's about whether we're communicating the value of what it is that we're providing for patients because a lot of people are now thinking you know i'm going to have to watch the pennies i'm going to have to rein back I, i'm going to have to really think about where i'm spending my money and where mm -hmm. i prioritize things and if our model is we're selling a service like we're yeah. selling adjustments we're selling manipulation we're selling whatever it is then people are going to start thinking well do i need adjustments yeah it's a bit like massage if you're kind of providing an experience people will decide well do i need that experience right now or not whereas if you're in the business of actually not selling you know an outcome or sorry not selling a product but mm. helping people reach an outcome it becomes a very different conversation in the patient's head so yeah. if you can position yourself as i'm not here to give you chiropractic i'm not here mm -hmm. to give you some really clever stuff I'm doing. I'm here to help you achieve whatever's missing from your life. Because there's, there's, a, there's something that they can't do because of the pain. And if we can position ourselves as the sort of the wise guide, the person mm -hmm. who helped them get there, then we're, we're attaching what we do to something they've already put at the top of their priorities. And it's they're going to start making other sacrifices elsewhere to make sure they can still achieve those goals but we have to position ourselves there because most patients won't automatically put us there if that makes sense that's quite interesting so it's not saying i'm just gonna i don't know get rid of your back pain which is what people want it's saying actually we have some treatment and we do all these things then not only will your back pain go but you'll be able to go to work or be able to play with your kids and that's what they probably want isn't it yeah um, so we've been in practice for a while we know people come in saying want my back pain gone but that's not actually what they really want, is it? They want no, to be able to no. That, that's why you have the people who, you know, they've had it for 10 years and they've never come to see you or done anything about it because for the for those 10 years, they've had the pain and it mm. hasn't got in the way of things too much. So they're not really after pain relief. Yeah. They think they are and they'll put it that way. And many practitioners then go, okay, I'm a pain relief practitioner and that's kind of all I'm interested in. But I think we've really missed the bigger picture and the patient misses out as well because they don't mm. realize there's even more we could help them with beyond that. And I think also it's one of those things that, um, that I found because one of my questions I ask patients is, what do you want from treatment? And they all go, I want the pain to go away. Yeah. And I say, okay, so say I've waved my magic wand and the pain's gone. What's your real goal? What would you actually like to do now that you can't do? And that's when you have that kind of different conversation about, well, actually, I haven't horse ridden a horse for 10 years and I'd really like to go and do that or I'd like to go and do this. And then you can start helping them to do that. And when you get to them do that, I do feel you get like a bit, more of a feeling of you've achieved something for people 
yeah you know, they can do that rather than i mean i do have patients who do just literally go i want the pain to go from an eight out of ten to a five out of ten and then i'm done i don't care and you're like fine that's your choice but then you have patients that you can actually make a change in their life and then that does feel a bit more profound is that a wrong word no completely i mean i when i look back at the patients that you know i still i still think about and go oh it was great working with them it was much more meaningful it was because we not only we helped them get to a more meaningful goal but we set that from the outset and all the conversations around their treatment plan and around their care were framed in terms of getting to that goal and it meant that when they were doing really well there was so much more enthusiasm in the room and when yeah. they were struggling it was easier to still keep them on track it was easier you know i wasn't having to go oh look i know you're not feeling better but look i found something good in the tests here and you know pain isn't the whole thing and it can be up and down and you know i didn't have to try and educate them out of that because I, I tried that for years and I like to think I got pretty good at it, but it was it still felt like pushing a boulder uphill. It wasn't it wasn't a fun experience and it didn't really work. I think it doesn't work as well as most of us like to think it does. To be honest. No, because you can see people just going, that's great. I can, you know, my, my test is a little bit stronger, but I'm still in pain. And it mm. doesn't. So when you're talking to patients and maybe you're sensing or they've said money is an issue, how do you kind of um sort of place that outcome as the important thing and not convince them that's the wrong word but show them the value of having treatment to get the outcome without feeling too salesy and icky what yeah. kind of conversations do you have around that i mean the one of the key words you mentioned there was convince and i never try to convince a patient to mm -hmm. do anything because it, it's that same kind of icky feeling i'm pushing something uphill and you know what it's like when someone's convinced you to do something you didn't really want to do yeah you do it for a bit your heart's not in it, you don't enjoy it, you kind of resent them for making you do it. And then as soon as you've gotten out, you're out and you never mm -hmm. go back. And it's, it's the convincing side doesn't work. What we really want to do, what's much more powerful is to inspire them. Right. Is to actually get them. And, so, and they often need our help with that because they may come in and say, oh, I want to get rid of the back pain. And then we find out, you know, they want to get rid of the back pain so that they can go to the gym. Yeah. And that's a bit more inspiring, but going to the gym, mm -hmm for some people great for others not but then we find out they want to go to the gym so that they can lose 20 pounds they want to lose 20 pounds so that they feel better about themselves so that they feel their spouse is more attracted to them or so yeah. that they have the confidence to go out and start dating again you know that's sort of if you can if you can go down that so that dot 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 rabbit hole yeah. and really find what's the underlying value not just what's the short-term outcome then you can go okay so we're going to work together and i'm going to do everything i can to get this sorted so that you can feel like you know you're closer to your spouse and you don't have to worry about them not being attracted to you and that's yeah. when they'll go yeah rather than yeah i'd like to get back in the gym so we, we have to do a little bit of digging and it depends on the patient some mm. people are more motivated by short-term goals than longer term some people they're not going to want to open up in that same way so you've got to be able to read the patient and read the room a little bit but um, the rule I have for my associates is we always have a, a box on the form saying patient goals. And yeah. that gets pinned to the top of their notes. So whenever you open that patient's file on the system, the first thing you see is their goals. Because we always want to be aware of that and bringing that into each visit. But I always tell them, you are not allowed to say to be out of pain. I said, if I see that in the goal box, um, you know, I'm going to give you a talking to and I'm going to say that. Because <laughs> it's not a goal. There's something deeper below that. And if you can get it, you know, the deeper you can get, the more inspiring it is. That may be something that comes up in the fifth visit, though. 
yeah. maybe it's not straight at the start but when we can do that a lot of those conversations start to drop away because they'll realize this is the thing i really want i'll make sacrifices elsewhere now in terms of how we address it if they say oh i don't know if i can afford that mm. we need to acknowledge that reality what you don't want to do is then try to convince them because yeah. again you'll start to lose trust very quickly they'll feel uncomfortable or throw the whole thing off but what you don't want to do is is what i would call make it real yeah so if somebody says to me oh i don't think i can afford that and i say okay i understand you can't afford that and i either go but this is what i'd recommend or i say how about this instead to the patient's experience somebody externally has just told them they can't afford it okay so now it's real yeah now it's like now we've both taken this as okay you cannot afford this what are we going to do mm. so the phrase i often use is i would say something along the lines of you know so i understand finances are a concern and this is the best course of action i can recommend to get you to whatever inspiring goal it is as quickly as possible so i've shown them i acknowledge it and i get it but yeah. i haven't said you can't afford it i've <clears> gone you know finances are a concern okay because we I need like to acknowledge that. it or they don't feel heard but we don't want to make it real and reinforce it because i've often had patients say that go out and they've booked half the number of visits i planned and then the next day they've called up and gone you know what? i've had to think about it no let's do that i actually want to do this they often just need especially the analytical patients just need some time to think and process maybe talk to their spouse um and then they often come back with a different decision but if i'd said okay you can't afford it let's do this instead we may have taken that opportunity away so i mean i really like that sentence because i often do the one that you said not to do of going okay i understand that and because i think often because i just haven't had a better reply but actually saying finances okay i understand finance is a concern is actually a really good way of acknowledging it and and also that because i know on your you've spoken before about um being a chiropractic buddhist and not mm -hmm. taking patients off on them but actually once you've said okay i understand you can't afford it that's almost making it part of my problem or the kind yeah. of problem and and those of those of us who have a sensitive money mindset or can go down that hole then you're kind of starting to travel into that they can't afford it phase yeah and you don't really know what that means for that patient you know but if you just say finances are a concern but this is what i think is the best idea do you then ever offer them as different op treatment option or do you just then leave it for them to go and think about so no, if if we if they're not going to follow the the recommended schedule, I want there to be a conversation between us about what the other options are. So I would often just say that and kind of hand it back to them. Mm. So I understand this. However, this is my best recommendation, mm. and then see what they say. And if they go, ah, okay, I'll think about it, or this or that, so like, okay, great, have a think about it. We can have a chat next time. If they come back and go, yeah, I really can't make that work, mm. then I'll say to them, okay, well, a plan B. If you can't mm. do this, then I'd recommend this bit. Yeah, you know, we'll maybe do the same number of visits over a longer course of time. It's going to take you longer to get there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I, most of the time I can re recommend it and say, you know, the overall outcome is unlikely to affect it too much, but it will take you longer to reach that goal. Yeah. And if they go, okay, that's fine. It's just going to take longer. Then it's then great, and we've we've reached that decision together. It's a shared decision there. If they come back and go, well, look, I could really only do this. And I think that's just not going to work. Then mm. ethically, I have a responsibility to tell them, I really don't think that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. If you think that you can come in once a month and get this really severe pain sorted, in all honesty, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. I remember saying that to a patient, and it was it was when I hadn't I hadn't long had my own practice, 
and they came in and they had a raging disc problem and they're like i can come in once every four weeks mm. and i just said i i don't think i can help then you know i mean i said you, you can but i said really you i need to be seeing you a couple of times a week for a while to get this under control so i really i think really you should probably be no, I just sort of basically said I didn't want to treat them because I was like, yeah. I can't help you in that amount of time. You're just going to waste their time and money. Yeah. And their money. I mean, that's what I said. I, said, I think you're wasting your, you know, you're not spending your money in the best way. And I suggest you go back to your GP and see what they can do for you. But I cannot help you at that mm -hmm. frequency because you just can't, can you? You just know that you'll be like, in a month's time, well, you're still sore, you know. And the thing yeah. is, if, if you take them on that, if you go, oh, okay, well, it's not ideal, but let's give it a go. To the patient, you've just agreed that that is a viable option. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, they're still going to go, oh, well, I thought it was going to work. Because in their head, they're maybe not hearing the sort of, oh, sort of maybe bit. They're hearing, okay, Rosie's happy to try that. Yeah. You've just thrown your reputation behind a plan you know that's not going to work. And it doesn't mean you go, sorry, no, get out. You know, sounds like you handle that very gently and empathically. <laughs> but there's no point taking those patients on if it's all it's going to do is get them frustrated. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my mentors, he's uh, he's American, and they're you know they're much more direct and comfortable talking about money. But his phrase was just like, "Not all money is good money." Yeah, he's like, no, I don't you know, know what? Some patients you don't want to take them on. Like it's not be either because of that or either because they're not prepared to do the things that are actually going to make the difference. He's like, it's okay to turn a patient away if you think it's not going to work out for them. Yeah, well, I I never would have done that in my first year or two. I was too much like I have to help everybody or I've let them down kind of thing, and it yeah it doesn't always work that way. But it's so nice. It's like I, mean, I think I've said before, definitely on the podcast. You know, I don't like treating babies. I have no interest in it. I don't like them very much, particularly. You know, and you know, and so I just refer them to Liz, who works in in my clinic. I say she's great at babies. Go and treat them. Can you check? No. No, I can't. Well, I could, <laughs> but quite frankly, you don't want me to because yeah. I haven't treated a baby for probably ten years now. And yeah. actually, I wouldn't take my kid for me, so I can't honestly recommend you do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but um, I, there's nothing wrong with referring people to right people because actually, people respect that, don't they? Mm. Patients respect you saying this is not for me, rather than you kind of or me ham-fistedly trying to treat a baby because I remember once that you press here something, you know, it's it's yeah. just not the best outcome for the patient, is it? Yeah, and that's that chiropractic Buddhist, that non-attachment of yeah. like, I don't need this patient. Yeah. If I can help them, great, and I'd love to help them any way that I can, but I don't need them to follow the advice. I don't need them to be my patient. I'm not attached to that outcome. And instantly people will start to like respect you and listen to you more that way, yeah, because it builds trust. Just taking a quick break in the show to tell you about Chris's new masterclass. It's called The Top Three Mistakes Ethical Clinic Owners Make When Training Associates. It's totally free and it covers how to give your associates the right amount of supports. It goes through the way to track the progress of your new team members and gives you a guide about how to be a good mentor and some of the secrets of his teaching, as well as a lot, lot more. If that sounds interesting, link to join that is in the show notes. Now let's head back to the episode. So, um... If we're having patients in the room and, you know, you're having, you know, you're doing a treatment and then you're chatting away as you do. Um, I particularly like a chat. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm probably quite an amiable person. I like was talking about before. I'm quite amiable. So I do chat. Um, but and these people start bringing it into the kind of doom spiral of how awful everything is in the world at the moment. You know, you know, everything's going up. Cost of this, cost of that. War in Ukraine, whatever else. You know, the Queen's died. Everything dreadful's happened. How do you kind of not necessarily lighten the mood because those things are all serious things and perhaps people need a safe space in which they can unpack their worries. 
don't know if you found that in COVID. Everyone, you, you know, mm. everyone unpacking their COVID stuff yeah, around. I, I was a COVID therapist for a few days. Yeah, yeah. awful lot of COVID therapy. Um, <laughs> and people do do that. And I don't know if you found this. I've had more patients say to me, are you worried about your electricity bills? I've never had people ask me if I'm worried about business before, but they've just gone, I'm really worried about my electricity bills. Are you worried about your electricity bills? And I'm like, there's not much I can do about it. So no, they'll be what they are. Mm. Um, but how do you kind of turn that conversation around so that it doesn't bring a downer onto, because then I sometimes think that people go on that track of, oh, everything's really expensive and I'm spending money here. Should I spend money? Do you know what I mean? They start going down that route. How do you kind of stop that without kind of, ignoring the patient's kind of feelings and, and needs yeah it's it's difficult and it's I, I couldn't really give a blanket this is my response to everybody because it, it does depend on the patient a lot there's um a really good concept around this called the 12 roadblocks to communication okay which um was thomas gordon who was a student of carl rogers who he created uh, person-centered theory which is sort of the forerunner of patient-centered um patient-centered care and he talked about these 12 responses that we tend to make automatically when we hear about a problem mm -hmm. and there's some of them some of them are not appropriate like judging moralizing ordering but some of them are actually quite nice things like reassuring giving advice you know asking more questions humoring um and he talked about how there are these 12 responses and we all have ones we automatically use yeah. And the key thing is not that they're all wrong, but they may be used inappropriately. Okay. And what we, and, you know, for example, like reassuring is one. I'm prone to that. Yeah. One of my first things to do is that that reflex in me is to go, oh, don't worry, it'll all be okay. You know, whether they've had a flare up or they're worried about their electricity bills, you know, I want to reassure. And sometimes that's what patients need, but sometimes mm. that will seem like I haven't taken it seriously or I'm not really listening to them. You know, it can be seen as inappropriate to the patient. So one of the things I think is, is if you just search 12 roadblocks to communication, mm -hmm. you can find the list online, have a look and go, oh, I tend to do that. That's something I do a fair bit of. Yeah. And then when you notice yourself wanting to do that, just stop and think, is this appropriate here? And then if you're going to do it and then look at the patient and look at how they respond. Yeah. And that will help you start to see, ah, you know what, when I do it in these contexts, it works really well. Maybe this kind of thing is actually quite useful. Whereas, oh, when I say it around this to this type of person, they don't react so well, I might need to change it. So it is quite a case-by-case -case basis. My general rule is I just don't want to reinforce anything. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go, oh, yeah, it's yeah, it's really awful and it is really tough and we're really worried as well. Um and I, I know it sounds obvious, but I know chiropractors who do will kind of jump on that roller coaster with them. And I, you know, I don't want to be adding any speed to that, and I don't want to be making that worse. Um, so with some, you know, sometimes I'll just listen, and I might reflect back. You know, it sounds like this is really worrying you. It sounds like it's quite stressful. So first of all, they feel heard. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I might respond with a little bit of reassurance if I think I can. Mm -hmm. cost of living crisis is a little tricky because it's we don't know what's going to happen yeah it's not like i can go look you've had a flare-up i've seen this a hundred times before yeah don't worry um but i might ask them you know have you has this been worrying you a lot is this something that's been you know really winding you up is it something that you're really stressed about do you have somebody you talk to about this and or what do you use when you get really worried about this stuff what's your outlet or yeah. like what do you do when you need to switch off so I'm asking questions, I'm showing interest, I've shown them I've taken it seriously. 
but I'm sort of shifting the focus to, okay, what are some potentially helpful or positive things yeah. here? And if they go, oh, you know, I, d I don't really have anything, there's potentially a window to say, well, you know, I, I have some suggestions, or I have other patients who are worrying who have some ideas. I'm happy to share those if you like. And again, yeah. I'm asking permission. I'm not jumping in with, here's the answer for you. Yeah. But it's kind of getting going on, yeah, this is tough. It is stressful. I get that. And how are you managing with that? Or what yeah. sort of support do you have around that? Um, I personally haven't had many patients ask me if I'm worried. Um, there's That can be a little bit double-edged because on the one hand, with COVID, you know, I, I was sort of fairly open in saying like, yeah, we were really worried at some point. Mm. You know, when we closed, it was like, are yeah. we going to be able to open again? You know, like mm. my whole career might have been yeah. <laughs> wiped out for a bit. But I could, I was okay sharing that with patients because mm. I was going, but it's okay because we're back. So I could, yeah. the, I could share a worry to say, mm. yeah, you're not alone. I was worried too. But the story had a happy ending. What mm. I wouldn't want to do is go, yeah, I'm really freaking out about this too. And I don't know if it's going to be okay. Because now the patient's worrying about me. Yeah. And if we're friends, fine. Yeah. But we're not, you know, I'm friendly, but I'm not their friend. My role is to help take care of them. Yeah. So I would, be, I would be careful around doing that. Yeah, not I, must I wouldn't empathise and go, yeah, it is. It's looking quite stressful for a lot of people, isn't it? I know a lot of people are worried about it, but I wouldn't necessarily go, yeah, I'm really worried. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, no, definitely. I mean, I was very much, yeah, no, you know, it could be a concern, but I'm not worried at the moment, and it will all be okay. And I'm sure because at this point there was no government plan. I was like, I'm sure the government will step in because they'll have to mm. anyway. How's your back? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you can do that and then sort of redirect into, but here's what we're focusing on today, then that can be really useful as well. But yeah, and I think that there is, I think I do like what you're saying there about not actually discussing the problem, but discussing how they're feeling about the problem. Because again, that positions you as the, the healthcare expert, not the, the cost of living, you know, not the worrying expert kind of thing. It's too easy yeah. to be dragged into someone's worries. You yeah. Know? And, you know, that's something I don't do now, but I think probably when I was younger and newer and newer, like, and you're still learning that boundary, aren't you, when you very first start? Like, yeah. I always think I professionally care, but I don't personally care. Because that yeah. Cause you have yeah. to be able to step away, because if you can't, you'll go crazy quite quickly. I find. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I've seen that. With, and again, the last couple of years, it's got worse for chiropractors as well. I've yeah. seen more people getting dragged into that sort of stuff. And You've got to be very careful. I mean, my um, my wife is um, just about to qualify as a counsellor. Mm -hmm. And when she started the course, they had a talk from the head of the whole um, the mm. whole course, basically saying, look, this is not a full-time job. If you think that you're going to see patient, you're going to see clients as a counsellor full-time, you're going to burn out in 12 months. Yeah. And they made it really clear, like, you can only take on so much and you have to be very clear on your boundaries. And they have supervision, which means at least once a month, Mm -hmm. They go to a colleague and they and it's not therapy for them. They're not sharing their problems, but they're talking about cases where, oh, I'm struggling with this or I, I don't know what to say here or this person's frustrating me. And their colleague's job is to go, OK, where's your stuff and where's the clients and where's the boundary? Because if they don't have that, then it, it, the boundaries get out of control quickly. Now, obviously, counselling, they're delving into this sort of stuff. Yeah. Before, but I, you know, I sometimes think we could probably use that in all healthcare. I think it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. I think, in particular, until you learn to, I always think you need to learn to leave patients at clinic. Like, if patients come home in your head, yeah. Uh, and I think that for me, that happened a lot in the first six months when I, you know, a long time ago when I graduated. But now I rarely ever think about patients. And if I do, it's usually because I'm not happy about something. 
yeah. whether that's my care or something that's going on with them externally. But, you know, and it's very, very rare that happens now. But now it's more of a, oh, I need to go and do something about that. I need to stop yeah. thinking about that now. But when I get back to clinic... I need yeah, to the fact that they're on my mind is a sign that I need to change or do something about it, yeah. And it, that, that first 12 months is completely normal. Yeah. Like, I'll tell all our new grads when they join us, it's like, you know, we don't want you doing this. It's not a healthy or a good thing to do. But you're going to do it. Yeah, you're doing it for the first 12 months. Fine. If you're doing it five, 10 years later, something's not worked. So, you know, and, and as you build the confidence, it hopefully happens less. But again, I, I, you know, I know people who've been out two, three times as long as me who are terrified of some of their patients or are still bring a lot of that home. And I think if that's happening, you want to find some some kind of support somewhere, whether it's working with somebody, whether it's a colleague you can just share this stuff with, because um, it, it more often than not, it's DCs who work on their own. Yeah, um, I think it's just you're more vulnerable because you're more isolated in that way. You haven't got anyone to chat stuff through with. Yeah. So talking about new grads, so I have a, I have a new grad, Sam, who's actually doing very well at the moment. I will say, um, yeah. and um, and I know you do a lot of work with new grads, don't you? So when you when you have people or new associates who are just starting, and so we've been in practice for a while, so we've seen recessions. We had like 2008 and all that kind of stuff. So we know that this kind of stuff is kind of circular. It goes around. There's good times, there's bad times, there's good times, and it kind of goes down. It comes up. That's just normal practice and normal business. Like, how do you kind of reinforce that to to associates that actually this is part of being in practice? Is that business is never linear. It's always going up and down. Um, and what kind of things do you do to reassure them? about this because they may get freaked out that yeah. no one's going to be able to afford care and no one's going to come in and all that kind of thing i mean step one i tell them that i go yeah. look we saw this before we, we were quite fortunate we actually grew slightly during the 2008 one um and i can say look we've gone through this there's been other stuff before we've got through it we were okay we didn't have to let anyone go we weren't worried about numbers we weren't all you know scrounging the pennies where we could so yeah you haven't been through this before it's going to freak you out that's normal I'm not worried that you're freaked out. And at the same time, I'm not freaked out because, yeah, we've been through this before. I think if they can see you take it seriously and see you hear them and not jump in with a roadblock of reassuring too early and go, I get where you're at. And I totally understand why you'd be worried because you've just graduated. And also, I'm okay. I'm not stressed about this. That, if they can see that and believe that, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. I would say it's just, okay, I'm I'm going to be okay. Rosie's done this before she knows what's going on there. Yeah. Um, and then what I do, I mean, this would be my bias, but I, it's an opportunity to emphasize the importance of locate of um communication. And that yeah. um another uh, another American Cairo I know, he he put it this way is look, people don't buy, you know, they don't they don't start with you for two reasons. Either they don't know what you're selling or they don't want what you're selling. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you know, if they don't want what we're offering as chiropractors. There's nothing we can do about that. That's, yeah. that's absolutely fine. But a lot of the time, they don't come back because they don't know what it is that we're really offering because they think we're offering cracks or yeah. massage. Or they've seen anything. it on YouTube. No, on social yeah, media. yeah, they've seen the TikTok videos and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas if we can, you know, going back to digging into their goals, we can show them that we're actually offering an inspirational transformation in their life. Yeah. We're offering them to to do the thing they've always wanted to do or to get back to the things that are important to them. If you can do that, then patients are prepared to make sacrifices elsewhere. So, you know, I, I use that sort of talk to show that to them and go, this is why I bang on about communication. This is why you're doing it. This is why I'm teaching you these things because they're important anyway, but they're doubly important in, finan you know, in financially difficult times. People who can't do that are going to have a tougher time. People who can are going to have a 
you know, much more stable time relatively. Yeah. And I think also that, you know, if, if you're someone who hasn't asked about goals or things like that, and you're worried about whether um, patients want to do that or not, obviously not everyone will, but a lot of patients are just so overjoyed to talk about what they want. Do you know, maybe overjoyed. Oh, people love talking about themselves, yeah, to someone who's listening. But also they're surprised. They're like, oh, I'd really like to lose some weight. And, and I'm like, oh, well, what do you think's wrong? Well, I snack too much. Well, have you looked at, I don't know, the NHS healthy eating snacks? You could swap this for this. And they're like, oh, I've tried that. It worked. It's like, you know, and, and just, and I think that just giving that extra bit shows that we're more than just cracking your back and i don't know, massaging a little bit and telling you to go away and come back next week kind of thing yeah uh, exactly because you've shown an interest in them and you've yeah. given something that, that's oh this is this is not generic advice i tell all my patients to do this it's oh you're particularly worried about this okay here's some advice for your specific problem problem you've shown that you care about the person not just the spine or the knee or whatever the you know the bit that you're cracking or massaging or whatever it might be yeah, I think that I think that does help. So people do really like it. Mm. Um, and then, I guess, what do you do when if people so we sort of had the thing about you know finances are a concern and they start people start changing their plan halfway through. I mean, I guess this could happen generally anyway. Do you kind of sort of sort of jump on people on that or jump you know say to people pull them up on it, make them accountable, and say, hey, you said you'd come in twice next week and you've dropped down to one, and we need to bring that appointment back in. Or do you kind of just let them get away with it more? Or how do you kind of, particularly at these times when people may be being more careful with their money, what do you, how do you deal with that kind of people managing their own time schedule rather than going to the appointment schedule you suggested? I mean, I, personally, I always think it's better to have the conversation. Um, yeah. I know last episode we talked about not leaving things in the fog. This is yeah. kind of an example of that because firstly, they may not sometimes realize they're doing it. They might have just mm -hmm. gone, oh, I really can't make that next week, I'll take that out. And then next week, like, oh, I can't make that one, I'll take that out. And it's sometimes, it's only when they stop and look back and I'm like, we said we were going to see you six times over three weeks. It's five weeks and we've seen you four times. Sometimes that's the first time they realise, oh, okay, yeah, I hadn't realised I'd been spacing it out that far. Um, so I think it's worth, you know, if they just have to reschedule one, that's fine. If it's happened twice, then I'll usually check in with them. But it wouldn't be a kind of, you know, looking down my glasses, where were you last week? Kind of <laughs> I might just say, oh, I noticed you had to reschedule a couple of things. Is everything okay? Mm. And I just, I see what they say and they'll have, you know, a reason or excuse or whatever it might be. And I say, okay, I'm just concerned in terms of the recovery that if we keep doing that, it's going to slow down your recovery. Are, are you still happy to, you know, see me twice a week? For the mm. next still okay with the rest of the plan? And if they go, well maybe not actually i'm going to struggle to do more than once a week then we, we just have the same conversation that we would have had at the start say okay well this is what i expect will happen on once a week mm. you know i've recommended twice because it's going to get us better results quicker results yeah if you do it this way this is what i would expect yeah. so which one would you like to do and it, it's really a case of you know i'm giving them two envelopes there's envelope a and envelope b this is what's inside each of them you let me know which envelope you want and if they start coming back with sort of trying to placate me or excuses or things like that, I just let them know, I go, look, it's completely fine. Whichever one you choose, I'm okay with. My job's to make sure you know what to expect from those options. And then your job is to let me know which one you want to do. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. If I think we're working on option A and you'd rather do option B, then my advice and my recommendations aren't going to make sense for you. So I'm yeah. showing it from, it's always from that place of no judgment, 
I'm fine either way. I'm fine. You know, I'm not saying this to them, but my attitude is I'm fine if they just turn around and say, actually, I'm not going to come back at all. I'm going to go back to my GP. There's no judgment. There's no, you know, the emotional stakes for me are, are very, very low. Yeah. I just I I need to make sure they know what to expect. Because what I don't want is them turning around and saying, you said this would happen and that happened. Yeah. And I guess it's always the consequence. If you change the plan, the, con the plan, then the act the outcome will be different so you can yeah. change it but then you need to know what that yeah. is uh, from my attitude is I'm, I'm fine with you changing it as long as you know what you're changing i don't want you thinking you're changing a little bit when you're actually changing more because then it's much harder they get to the review and they're fed up going i thought i was going to be a lot better then you're on the back foot going well yeah but you didn't come in when i you know it becomes this sort of we're not sat next to each other working on a shared, shared plan we're sat across the table negotiating now it, it changes that dynamic yeah that makes sense and if people really can't come in for treatment maybe if you have people people that you normally see for maintenance or something and they say look i really can't you know finance the problem whatever do you do you tend to then maybe help them remotely with with exercises and say you know we can't if you can't really can't come in for treatment and do x y and z or do you tend to tend to say come back when you how do you kind of because i often feel like when i see patients and they kind of stop care for whatever reason and i sort of say well feel free to contact me at any time and i genuinely mean it because i kind of feel like i'm still their chiropractor even if they're not seeing me right now how do you kind of manage that when people drop out do you offer them kind of a, a, a home exercise program or home answers or do you just kind of leave them to do what they want generally i think yeah if there's something i can get them going at home and think look if you're not going to come in and have treatment that's fine it would be better if you did this than nothing yeah. then i'd like to offer them that i mean we we use fizzy trap but there's loads of stuff out there one of the best investments we ever made as a clinic it's like i think 12 pound a month yeah and we've had referrals we've had people come and see us because you send the videos with the exercises you know it's it's, it's actually been quite a good practice builder but it really allows us to do that easily as well or if a patient drops out or they've called up the council say actually i'm feeling fine i'm not coming back then i may call them they often say on the desk chris might just want to give you a call just to check in and make sure things are okay um so you can do that if somebody's like dropped off and disappeared mm -hmm. you know we we track all our patients so all our associates go back and look at the all the new patients they saw that month and okay when did they come in how many visits did they come in for have they had a review do they have an upcoming appointment or has there been a conversation about their discharging for now mm -hmm. and if they notice neither of those last two are true they don't have anything booked and there's been no conversation about why then they know okay i need to give this person a call but it's not to re we use the phrase recall because it's been used in the clinics for like 35 years yeah. but we're really trying to change it because recall is like oh i'm going to call them and bring them back yeah and if your intention on the phone call is to make them book in they'll sense that they'll get a funny feeling and you'll pick up on that. yeah and you'll pick up on that and it'll feel icky and then the next call you yeah. make will be like oh, i'm just calling oh oh i hate to do no share yeah, yeah. So what you can do in something like home exercise is great for this is I just call them up and say, hi, John, it's Chris. Just wanted to check in and make sure everything's okay. We'll see how you're doing. And then you let them talk. And they'll tell you, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm actually feeling okay for now. I'm going to leave it. Or they may say, oh, I've been meaning to call. Thanks. Oh, great. I'll pass you over to Sophie. She'll get you booked in. Sometimes yeah. it's literally they forgot. Um. But if they say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to come in for a bit, or I'm going to do this or that, I'll say, that's absolutely fine. Obviously, we're here however you need us, any way you want to use the treatments, that's fine. If you're not going to come in for a bit, would you be okay if I sent you some exercises or some advice? You know, yeah. I'd say, look, I was planning on giving to this, this to you in one of the next couple of visits. I can send it to you now if you like. 
And then it flips the whole energy from I'm calling you to find out why you haven't come back to I'm calling you to make sure you're okay and offer you something else for free. Yeah. And yeah. that's often the point where they go like, oh, yeah, no, that'd be lovely. And then their last interaction with me for that course of care was I did something nice for them. I showed I cared versus I called them up to harangue them for not coming back or, you know, yeah. however, however it might feel to yourself otherwise. No, definitely. That's that's a good way of doing it. I mean, I do. I, we sell custom orthotics and I do a review after sort of three weeks and I call them and say, hey, how are your orthotics going? And because they work so well, most people are like, yeah, they're fine. Like, why are you bothering me with a phone call? But the fact that I've checked in and gone, hi, how are they? And they're like, yeah, great, bye. <laughs> it's You're still showing you care and that, you know, yeah. you made nothing from that phone call. It's just a I do care kind of thing, which is. Yeah. is and you can always throw it in with. So we often do this after after their first visit as well. So if they came in the morning, we'll do it end of the day or the next morning. And I'll say, just want to check, you know, make sure everything's okay and see if you had any questions. And that yeah. see if you had any questions, it can sometimes be like, oh, okay, no thanks. And then it's like, great, we'll see you 5 p.m. on Tuesday, whenever it is. Yeah. But it's again, it's just showing some people will be like, oh, I didn't really need that call. Yeah. But you'll get that. They'll be like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Goodbye. And it's, it, it hasn't bothered them. But other yeah. people will go, oh, man, like you called. That was no one's ever done that before. That's really kind, especially your more amiable type patients. Your expressives will really like that. That's yeah. a personal touch to it. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then we're, you know, we're talking all this cost of living stuff. But what happens if money isn't a problem? Because it's easy to get into the, the mindset of money must be a problem for everyone. And it isn't always, you know. So how do you how to I guess as a, as a chiropractor, as a practitioner, how do you kind of not get yourself? caught swept away with everything in the news and things like that and always thinking that this must be the problem why people aren't having treatment is there a, a way of either asking people or just to just look after your own mind in a way i mean i i went on a very uh, radically strict media diet a few years ago and that's been great for my sanity it slipped a bit in covid during the lockdown not a lot to do i was checking bbc news five times a day and i noticed after a bit like this is just ramping up my anxiety and i'm not making any different decisions because of it so being mindful of your own headspace i sometimes catch myself um i was listening to a podcast the other day that the guest was a bit doom and gloom i actually stopped because i was going to be seeing patients in a bit it was like nope i'm going to put on an episode of community and watch a comedy for a little bit yeah. i want to just lighten myself up a bit um the thing for me i think because we do always assume it's about the money even mm. when it often isn't is i'm mindful of the many other ways it's inconvenient for patients to come and see us and the main thing is time so um about half an hour from us there's an amazing acupuncturist the guy has he's learned under legends he's written books he's absolutely mm. phenomenal he's really helped my wife with several issues she's had mm. absolutely genius and i was having a bit of trouble sleeping mm. and i went down to see him and i felt better and i thought oh, i should i should do this more regularly and i haven't been back since yeah and it's not about the money and it's not about whether it worked or not it's that i've got to drive half an hour and then have an hour's session it's it's two hours out of my day which really means half the day's gone by the yeah. time i've got myself ready and i've said no to other stuff and i've made sure i'm free i just you know i haven't i don't have an entire half day free to kind of deal with that <laughs> yeah. i think we and i think about that with patients as now that okay maybe my appointments aren't an hour but it's mm. a couple of hours out for most of them by the yeah. time they've had to think about it, they've had to be mindful of it. They've had to clock watch in the morning beforehand. You know, it's it, coming to see us is a lot of hassle. Patients would really rather not do it. And it's often it is, it's more just the inconvenience of coming to see us. 
And hmm. I, I've got people who live 15 minutes away who have said, sorry, I'm not going to come back. It is helping, but oh, it's just too much hassle finding the time at the moment. So yeah. I think it's it being mindful of that and my own experience with this acupuncture is like, yeah, maybe it's just that. You know, I've spoken to him since and I have said, very happy with the session, you know, still referring patients to him. It's just difficult finding the time at the moment. But yeah. often they won't even necessarily say that. And they don't realize that we're wondering where they went. Yeah. They're not it. thinking about that impact on us sometimes as well. What does the chiropractor think? No, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have had patients come in and go, oh, you must have wondered what I was doing, changing my appointments all the time. And I, and I kept thinking she's going to think that I haven't been. I was like, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah some of them will. So, some will. But the majority, yeah, the majority won't. And they'll, they'll assume that we've assumed that they're not coming because a lot of them just got better. Yeah, I think that's it. They get better or they get as better as they want to, which may yeah. be not as better as we want them to be, but they've achieved where they wanted to. Or no, this is good enough for now. And my priorities have shifted because my kids have started back at school or because it's Christmas coming up or I've changed role at work. And now it's a bigger sacrifice to come. So actually, although I'm only 70% better, I can deal with this 30 while I get through XYZ. And, yeah. and that's where it can be really good to touch base. But from that, you know, that generous mindset of, making sure you're okay and you're not coming in that's fine is there anything else i can do for you you know exercise advice whatever that is because that's the difference between doing that and calling up saying oh we're wondering where you were you were due in last week yeah. and then their last interaction with you is oh they wanted me to come back yeah the trust starts to slip they feel a little bit awkward and then when it does flare up again they'll go see somebody else yeah versus nice. they'll come back and see you because the last interaction was wow that was really kind of them they didn't have to do that yeah I must admit, I often think about it like me going to the dentist. So, like, you know, I, I go to a dentist, private dentist, and it's like, so it costs some money, but I'm like, it's my teeth. I'm only going to have one set. I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually, it's, oh, I've got to go. And can you see me at 11.30 in the morning? I don't want to come at 11.30 in the morning. That's like messed up my whole morning. Yeah. But, I mean, that's only that's once. That's why I'm two months overdue for my checkup, because I had to take it out. And now I'm like, I've got to give up a Saturday for this. <laughs> I know. And, and that's, for me, that's the time thing. If I want to come over at 9 o'clock or at 2 o'clock, that's when I want to do it. Any yeah, other not 11 a.m., yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, and I think maybe sometimes remembering that about ourselves actually helps us remember that patients are, you know, we're not the most important things in our patients' lives, you know. Mm which may be hard to feel, <laughs> but it's just how it is. It's a but good I've practice. Done, it's a good practice. <laughs> I've done a similar thing with the news. Like I used to listen to Radio 4 every morning and like I've just stopped because I'm just like, I don't, it's just too, there's no, there's nothing positive. There was no sensible spin on it or anything. It's all just doom and gloom. But yeah. I did find something called positive.news and it was about set news, about good things that are happening, but not like, hey, a fluffy kitten had kittens or something, but like, hey, this person's invented this thing that takes plastic out of the sea. You know, really yeah. good thing. Because the cool, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in the world. It's just the, the stuff that triggers fear will will Always. sell more and grab attention. Yeah, so I like that. That's a good idea because, yeah, I, I used to, I started every day in my phone year at uni. I'd get up, I'd have my coffee, my breakfast, watching BBC News, and then realised I'm just mildly annoyed or stressed or frustrated. This is, yeah. this is not a good mindset to be in. <laughs> and I think that, that mindset before you walk in to see your patient is really important. It's mm. um, I don't know if you ever heard this study about GPs. And they said that because GPs generally sit in their own room and they never come out and how they pick up the emotional energy of their last patient. And they were talking about, we all talk about, um, you know, hygiene control in terms of germs, but no one thinks about hygiene control or mental control in terms of how people pass moods. Mm. patient you know or from gp to patient and then patient to gp and then back to pay and they were sort of talking about how 
um, if they've done some sort of Royal College of GP study into it, you know, about if some patient walks in arms crossed, then the GP mimics, and then the GP mimics the next one, and then, you know, you have to have a patient come and go, hey, everything's wonderful for the GP to lift up their mood. But I don't imagine GPs get many patients coming and go, hey, life is wonderful. No, I, I wouldn't imagine so. No. <laughs> but that's that's a really good point. I remember saying to my um, my front desk team in my first year, if, you know, because when the imposter syndrome's high and somebody calls up not happy or they've flared up or this and that, you go straight to panic mode. Um, and I sort of let them know, like, look, if that happens, can you not tell me in the middle of a shift? Yeah. Can you wait until there's a break or there's lunch? Because now all I can think about is, oh my God, this patient's dying and they think what it's did my I do fault. Wrong? What yeah. And then obviously I call them up and they're like, yeah. oh no, just it flared up yesterday. It's a bit better. I just wanted to check with you. And it's not this big thing, but in my head now I'm not present with the next five patients because yeah. I'm kind of worrying about this call I have to make kind of thing. So I'll generally, unless it's like a real emergency, tell me at a time when I can deal with it. Don't, don't sort of drive by. By the way, you've got this to worry about later. <laughs> this person's blown up and said they're so bad they don't know what to do it's like tell me now <laughs> excellent so um that's been super useful thank you chris it's been really good and i think it's just those those bits of sentences can really help can't they kind of just change how you then approach approach things and that and then that overall thinking of communication yeah so, a lot of this stuff is down to those nuances really it's 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 not necessarily about the words on the page so much it's just how you say it and the energy and those those subtle tweets that's what's made the biggest difference for me anyway and then um if people want to work with you you have the happy patient project yes yeah so there's um there's a couple of different ways i work with people new graduates i, I do a lot with the prt they're welcome to join the happy patient project um as well although that's geared a bit more towards experienced chiropractors so i must say i'm doing the happy patient project at the moment yes, yeah, like Chris last time and it's i think i'm in module two now i can't remember where i've got to but it's actually really useful um because there's some stuff that i i know and that i haven't done for a while but then i'm learning lots of other stuff that actually i've put into practice and it has really helped so yeah just to and chris hasn't even paid me to say that you know i've just that's, <laughs> that's that here feeling slightly awkward but that's very sorry funny. yeah you can just yeah but that actually is very useful and very good um it's always easier for someone else to say that than me and have that slight feeling myself so. yeah it's like yeah but, no, but it, it is good and i am learning stuff and it's and i think it's because um, and what made me do it actually was when we were talking about last time, and I can't remember what that principle is, where you think you know everything but you don't. There's a you have a work. Oh, the Dunning Kruger effect. That's the one. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, but I'm really good at communication. And I was like, oh, what happens if I'm not? And I know there's some bits that I am very good at, but that I but I think it's that constant reflective practice of going actually that bit I know I'm not good at, and you know I can bury it under a rock and not think about it and ignore it for a very long really 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 long time or i can actually i can do something about it now i'm aware i can change it and it has made my practice busier so it works well, glad to hear it so um yeah so there's that there's um that and they can get us patientcenter.co.uk slash hpp for happy patient project um the other one we i guess we can put the links in the show notes for this yeah but i'm also working with clinic owners who would like their associates trained in patient management and communication because most 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 associates are brought on because the clinic owner is too busy and yeah. need some help but especially the new grads yeah you take them on and realize they need a lot of work and they need a lot of your time so you've gone from spending all the time treating the patients to spending a lot of time training the new grad or yeah. training the associates who aren't performing as well as you as you are because they don't have your experience so then it, a lot of owners feel torn between should i spend my time treating patients because i've got to keep the business going 
yeah. or do I spend the time investing in the new grad? But then the income will start to drop. So essentially, it's sort of more done for you training for the associates. And then I, I can train them to train their associates better, but also take some of that off their plate. So it's, instead of trying to do everything themselves, I can be there and work with their team. And I guess also as a as a clinic owner, you've got to decide, are you good at training people? Do you like, do you have that kind of skill set? Because not everyone does have that skill set, you know. And if it's something you really don't want to do, then. Yeah, I, I, I've struggled with it for years, teaching them how to adjust. I'm, I, I like to think I'm a good adjuster. You know, every car who's been out five years or more says that. I do think I am. I'm not great at teaching it. No. Because I'm quite instinctive. And also, a lot of my associates are a different build to me. So my mechanics for adjusting don't make as much sense. So what we started doing now is saying, I'll work with you and I'm going to do my best. But actually, when you join us, we're going to send you on one or two adjusting seminars. We're going to yeah. find somebody who teaches this all the time, who's an expert in teaching you what works for you. And it's far more efficient for me to pay for you to go on that yeah. than it is for me to try and do that myself. So it's, it's thinking about where are your skill sets? What are you good at teaching? And what do you enjoy teaching? No, I, I now quite enjoy teaching the technique side of stuff. I'm just still not great at it. Yeah. So it's still better to kind of outsource that. Or if it was something that I really hated, again, mm -hmm. I would just go, you know what? I don't like teaching that stuff. Let's find you somebody else to do it. So yeah, in terms of the patient management and the communication, that's that's what I offer for clinic owners if they'd like some help with it. Yeah, perfect. And we'll pop links to all those things in the show notes so you don't have to worry about finding them. They'll be in there. Perfect. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, I find like for me, because I'm quite a short female, I have a very different adjusting style than so I mean my my associate is quite tall but she's sort of similar similar kind of build to me but if I had like a six foot five rugby player associate there's no way I could teach him to adjust because we would just adjust in completely different ways because yeah yeah you just have to you know do it the best you can don't you really but yeah anyway perfect um good was that all we were going to discuss was there anything else I think I think that's like, we've covered things pretty well there. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, and I will also put the link to the last podcast we did about general patient communication so that if you're enjoying what Chris is saying, you can listen to back to what he said there um, because it is like so important to be able to, I think it does really change that feeling of, of how, you know, when you communicate well, you don't feel like you're selling and you don't feel like you're forcing stuff. And that's when I think practice is hard. Mm. But when you're like, you feel like you're on the side of the patient, it's just much easier. That's yeah, it's, it's it's taking it from convincing to expire, you know, inspiring. I think it's it's like just take the handbrake off. A yeah. lot of us are driving with the handbrake on because we don't know how to do something other than convince, but we don't want to seem like we're convincing and we're one of those chiropractors who sells. So, yeah, it's I guess that'd be the simple metaphor is this can help you just take the handbrake off and and it gets easier and patients get better. It's a it's a win win. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast. Um, yeah, and thanks everyone for listening. Goodbye. My pleasure. Thanks, Rosie. Bye bye. Are you struggling to find patients for your clinic? Do you find it difficult to make patients choose your clinic over another one? And do you feel like you're lost in the crowd of clinics and practitioners for patients to choose? Then we have a free virtual conference for you. Learn from the experts in the chiropractic field to help you be the go-to clinic in your area, to attract your ideal patient and make patients choose you over any other clinic and become the most referred and recommended clinic plus a whole lot more. This virtual conference is completely free, so find out how to level up your practice by following the link in the show notes.